0: Hello, product innovators. Today, we learn how you can be very profitable selling directly to consumers from an expert behind the scenes of hundreds of Amazon and Shopify product brands.
1: This is the Product Startup Podcast, a show to learn from top leaders in hardware product development, prototyping, manufacturing, product selling and everything in between, hosted by Kevin Maco, the leading expert on product development for hardware startups.
0: Welcome back, everyone. I'm eager to introduce Tyler Jeffcoat to the show. Tyler is the founder of Seller Account, which helps Amazon sellers achieve maximum profitability through bookkeeping and CFO services. He has been behind nine figures in Amazon sales and nine figures in exits, and that's after he founded a company himself that grew to 120 employees before being acquired. Today, Tyler is gonna share some valuable knowledge from inventor startups, and small manufacturers on what direct-to-consumer selling online is, the pros and cons of Shopify versus Amazon and eBay, and the keys to success when scaling sales through direct-to-consumer selling online. Now onto the episode. This show is produced by
1: Maco Design, the original firm providing end-to-end consumer product development services tailored specifically to hardware startups, small manufacturers, and inventors. Take your product from idea to store shelves at MacoDesign.com. Now onto the episode.
0: Hey, Tyler. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate you having me. Really excited today to talk to you about selling on Shopify and Amazon. This is direct to consumer selling for new hardware innovations. How do you get that invention idea? Finally, either in pre-production or in production, you're ready to sell and you want to sell directly to your end buyer. There's a number of different avenues to do that. And today we're going to break all of that down and really get into the details of like which actual platform is best for your type of product. And what are some of the pros and cons? Most important, how do you remain profitable? Before we get into all of that, Tyler, just give us a bit of a backstory to how you got to be the big success that you are now. Thanks, Kevin, again, for having me. So I'm an accountant by
2: trade, and I worked at a bank for a while. So it's kind of like almost like go to an AA meeting, like once a banker, always a banker, you're going to be recovering the rest of your life, right? But I started a healthcare company out of grad school in 2012. We had a pretty good run, zero to 100 employees in four years, and I had the chance to sell that company at the end of 2017. Uh, My wife does not like living in big cities, and so it was time to start another company because we're Mm -hmm. staying in the cute little college town called Athens, Georgia, where UGA is. And so Seller Accountant is my second venture where my team does bookkeeping and I serve as the CFO for a big pile of brands that are selling their products online.
0: Oh, amazing. That's great. And super relevant to today's topic and why I was really excited to bring you on the show because you get to see a lot of what happens. You see what's successful, and what's not successful, all trickling down to the profitability, which is a core requirement for the survival of any scaling hardware brand. So let's talk big picture and then we'll drill down into the details and best practices. What is direct to consumer sales for a new hardware product?
2: Here's where I think about this. If I have the ability to attract my own customer and sell my product through my website, I consider that to be direct to consumer. So you know, I could have a TikTok strategy or an Instagram strategy or a YouTube strategy, but it generally funnels my customer to a shopping cart. The most popular shopping cart in the world right now is a company called Shopify. And I consummate that sale by them pulling the trigger and paying me. I ship them the product. Everyone's happy. That's different than a marketplace strategy when you think about old school eBay or now Amazon's obviously the million pound gorilla in the room. And so in both of those models, I I'm designing and developing a product. I want that product to end up in my customer's hands, but I'm either responsible for getting the customer myself, which is true direct to consumer. I've got a market or I'm going to leverage Amazon, huge pile of buyers, right? I'm going to use their marketplace. Now I still have to pay Amazon ad dollars. So it's just a very different marketing strategy.
0: That's great. Very helpful. And I want to break down both of those. Let's talk about the Shopify platform, how it works. And then let's switch over talk about the Amazon eBay marketplace, essentially how that works. And then we'll dive into both and figure out really what's best for your product to venture into this concept of direct selling online for a new hardware innovation.
2: Yeah. So the way I think of it, our most successful customers, Kevin, here at Seller Accountant that are killing it on Shopify have a really well designed, differentiated product. So I actually think about the kinds of things that your team does, like your team will step in, design a truly new product. It really solves a problem that hasn't been solved before or solves it in a different way. And so there is a direct connection to a pile of Customers that really want this problem solved, and so if that's your product, if you're the kind of product that really is kind of got it has a unique edge to it, it isn't just a me too product. Then my ability or your ability to hang my own website, you know, I'm going to have my own real estate, and then drive traffic to that real estate. Shopify is the real estate is going to give me the ability to really be successful, and I can be really profitable. And then just the flip side of that, Kevin, is if my product is a little bit more of a commodity, and I don't mean that in an ugly way. It just means I'm really just selling a staple. That's simple. It's, it's okay to sell a pen. It's okay to sell a coffee mug that isn't different. I just need to understand that people are very unlikely to search for my website, go to tylerjeffcoat.com and purchase a coffee mug. They're just not going to do it. And so I'm going to need a marketplace to bring buyers. Almost think about like a flea market. I need somebody to bring the buyers into the room so that I can sell my more commoditized product. And so at Seller Accountant, what's really important for us is to make sure that our product strategy aligns with how they're selling the products. If you have a commodity, you're gonna waste a lot of money trying to sell it on Shopify. If you have a really well-engineered kind of intellectual property-backed product, guess what? I want to try to own my customer, Kevin, so that I can capture more of the margin. You know that kind of thing.
0: That's so powerful, and it's really until you're in the industry, until you really understand that, it's hard to truly differentiate between those two and understand which is better for you. And typically, as a hardware startup, you don't have the resources necessarily to try everything, and especially to try everything and do it to a global standard. So you really have to pick your lane. At least to get in the door and A B test, figure out how that works and figure out how to do that really well. I really like the fact that you've identified the uniqueness of essentially building your own website and your brands. Just as a reminder to those folks who don't fully understand how Shopify works, it's basically a cart, a plugin for your own website. So it works more in the back end, or they also do have like a quasi functionality where they will kind of provide a website ish for you and plug into their Shopify backend. But for most intensive purposes, you imagine you're building your own website, making a cool website with an even better product. driving people to it. And then Shopify is handling, let's call it the infrastructure to allow those transactions to occur. Now, why is that so important? Well, that's important because that website is an asset. And that's something that you brought up as well. If you can bring your customers in, and especially if it's a unique, has new feature set that's solving someone's you know, pain point, or it's addressing an opportunity for them, they become very loyal. Well, loyal fans are more likely to seek you out and find your website and then become essentially a member, whether they just follow your website, whether they actually sign up for a newsletter, whether they become a customer. These are members of your overall community. And and there's all kinds of different layers that you can do to build community around that. But that is so powerful to a new innovation because you control that and start bringing value to the community through your product. And the community in and itself becomes a major value point as well for that brand.
2: I completely agree. And, And you said something really powerful there, Kevin, this idea of a whose community matters, right? The idea of a brand is really just which community or which tribe is the deciding factor on a customer buying something. And If I have that more unique product that does kind of attract a certain person, the 39 and a half year old guys that live in Georgia that love chess and play guitar, whatever, like whoever, like my avatar, I love this product. Then if you send me an email with a new offering, I'm going to come to you to buy it. But what we realize is that some products are really hard to create that kind of customer like loyalty around. And that's okay. Those are the kind of products that need to be on a marketplace like an Amazon.com because I need somebody else to bring me the buyer. I'm just going to solve the problem. I'm not going to have a really unique customer experience. And you know, multiple times per day, we'll have the Amazon truck pull up to my house, drop off a package. I don't know what brand is on that product. I just know it solves the problem that I pulled up the app to purchase a product to solve. And so just know, guys, it's okay to be who you are. I think that's the biggest thing we try to tell our clients is you can't make money getting distracted, but you can make money being focused in any of the core niches, uh, direct-to-consumer or marketplace. Just don't try to do both poorly. Really, that's the problem. That's great
0: advice. Now let's talk about profitability, which is the of to really any scaling business, especially a hardware product business. If you truly want to become a large enterprise and to really grow your sales and become a huge brand, you must be profitable. That's a key ingredient, at least in time, maybe not necessarily in the beginning. And there's lots of ways to grow to profitability, but it is important that profitability is an eventual target and a very important target that you try and hit. So let's talk about profitability on each platform, whatever one you want to start with.
2: Oh, this is a good question. So Amazon fees, you guys have probably heard of these, but fees on Amazon are high. If you sell a product on amazon.com, most categories is going to be a 15% commission. Amazon just gets paid to facilitate the transaction. Thank you for helping us sell the product. But most of our clients that sell our accountant also use Amazon to ship the product. So there's an additional charge for the pick pack delivery. And this is really important, guys. My budget for marketing my product is directly related to how heavy the cost of goods sold is. Let me give you an example of this, and this will apply to Shopify and Amazon. If I'm selling a product for right? If it only cost me $20 to buy and secure that product in the form of inventory, I'm going to have a larger budget to advertise or drive traffic to that listing than if I have a $50 cost of goods sold and I can only sell it for $100. In other words, the amount of the pie left over after my cogs, so that's the accounting jargon for cost of goods sold, the amount of the pie left over directly impacts how much I can afford to spend on ads. And as a rule of thumb, the more margin I have, the more freedom I have to go direct to consumer and try to build my own social media audience and try to drive traffic to my own real estate in the form of my Shopify site. The less margin I have, the more I'm going to need to be crazy efficient. And to be honest with you, Amazon's more efficient than anybody else at getting product to move. And so we we complain about this all the time about, oh, Amazon fees and Amazon fees this and that, Kevin. But the reality is that Amazon delivers the eyeballs that are going to pull the trigger. And so almost every product can work on Amazon, but only like a small percentage of products can work on Shopify. That's kind of what I found. Yeah,
0: it's it's very interesting. And obviously there's examples that break the rule in either direction. But no the doubt. reality is, is that if you look at your product, it probably, at least for an initial offering, fits into one of those one of those two categories.
2: Yeah. And just to give you maybe one more kind of statistic to chew on, if I can have a 20 to 25% profit margin after advertising, after my cost of goods sold, after any marketplace fees, after my shipping, like a true margin of 20 to 25%, then I have a viable product. If it. It's closer to 30%, I have a scalable product. If it's below 15%, I have a dead product. And so I think as you guys kind of look at your actual accounting, what is the actual revenue minus the actual cost of goods sold, shipping, marketplace fees? What is that percentage? And I think really that's something that's crucial for these brand owners. By the way, I'm in awe of this, Kevin. What you guys do, the creative side of this. Like I love building businesses, but I'm not a terribly creative person. I mean, for crying out loud, I'm an accountant, right? Like we like love numbers (laughs) and stuff. But like what you guys do is like create the future and value for customers. What our team does is come in and says, okay, Tom, let's make sure that the economics of that picture makes sense at scale. You alluded to this earlier, but profit is the price of admission for you to continue solving problems for your customer. There's a
0: really powerful intersection there and something that's amazing for especially innovative hardware startups. The reality is if you're making a new product with new IP that you, Tyler, alluded to before, there's a tremendous amount of new value, essentially a premium that you can charge. You are something special. So at least for your must-have buyers or your wealthy buyers or your early adopter buyers, you can look at margin as something that's relatively easy to obtain, especially if you have like some good innovation. Again, if you're solving a pain point or you're creating opportunity, and it's something that these people can't get elsewhere, which is ideally your innovation has something to it that is unique, that is powerful, you get to charge a premium. What does that premium do? It gets you margins. What do margins do? As Tyler addressed, if you have good margins, you can have an incredibly successful and scalable business. So as Mm. an inventor, I always encourage you, especially as you're releasing the product, you can have sales and discounts to move volume, but typically you should be pricing high. You should be premium. You should be special. You should be unique in all these categories. And because your product is fitting that, it's especially if it's a, a newly designed product, it's modern and sexy and is made to 2023 standards, then it is a high-end product. Thus, price it at a higher point so that you have those margins. Because once you have margins, that gives you a tremendous amount of scale. If you don't have margins, that's a big problem. So use that as your real advantage as a hardware startup with really core innovation. That's how you can get out of the gate swinging.
2: Couldn't agree more. Good point.
0: Okay, Tyler, just before I let you go, what are a couple last nuggets of information that can help people in direct consumer advertising, profitability, any of the above? So
2: Kevin, if I talk to somebody at a conference and they're excited to talk about the sales of their business, but they get a little bit quiet when you start asking about profitability, what normally is true is that they don't know for sure whether they're making money. So I can give you a couple of nuggets. I'll give you three here. One is you need to know for sure what that gross profit margin is after your fees and stuff. And that kind of goes back to bookkeeping. It's a really unsexy thing to talk about, but make sure that your accounting is giving you real information because for those of us who are really optimistic entrepreneur types, and I would count myself as one of those, I'm going to always be very bullish on the future. Things will work out unless there's data in front of me that tells me otherwise. So that's the first thing. You got to have decent books. The second thing is make sure that I grade each of my channels. If I'm selling on Amazon and on Shopify and I have a B2B business each of those channels need to be responsible for generating profit. And then the third thing is that each product needs to be responsible for profit. So I can't tell you how many of our clients invented, designed, launched a really cool product. And then they launched the green one, the purple one, the blue one, the pink one, the green, you know, like all these variations only to realize we're losing money on eight of these 10. Let's pair it back to the two that are working and not waste the resources. That's powerful advice. And
0: I'd say on the flip side as well, as a hardware entrepreneur, know that probably your initial sales aren't going to be that profitable, but it's core to understand that it's trending in the right direction. And if you're doing this stuff and you have the correct accounting data, you, you can start to identify the trends. So if you are providing a sale and you're understandably, let's say breaking even because you want to just start moving volume or your initial manufacturing cost is on the higher side because you've only produced a small amount of units, that's okay. But you need to know how that's trending and factoring into the eventual plan. Because again, the goal is at some point, you need to start traversing into that profitability matrix. And then as you're into that profitability zone, let's call it, you can need to increase that, get it to 30%. Because when you hit 30%, that means you have tremendous statistical correlation to the likelihood of massive scale enterprise level growth in in any case. So if you can trickle that back to your early stage numbers, get out of the gate swinging, do what you have to do to get early adopters. But as you start to grow and scale, improve your profitability. And I can tell you from the backside, on the manufacturing side, we do this at macro design, we go through layers of manufacturing, starting with short run, which is going to be fairly expensive per unit. Then we go into full scale manufacturing. And then we go to what we call cost down scale up manufacturing. And that's a level where we're because we've now got volume, maybe thousands or even tens of thousands of units. We can put a tremendous amount of effort into testing a whole bunch of different ways to reduce the cost of manufacturing without sacrificing key quality or feature sets of the actual product. When you do that, it substantially increases that profitability gap. You also have economies of scale. So not only do you have engineering and costing down a better production run to reduce your actual unit cost, you have more bargaining power with every single stage in the supply chain. So both of those together, hopefully at that point in time, which is when you're actually starting to grow pretty substantially in terms of sales volume, that profitability is really what becomes incredibly powerful to the equity valuation of your business or using that to reinvest into future growth or you know, expanded products or whatever you want to do to expand the business quickly. Couldn't not
2: agree more. You guys need to hit rewind on the show about 30 seconds and listen to that again. That's spot on, Kevin. Well said.
0: Very much appreciated, Tyler. And thanks again for all your words of wisdom today. Uh, We're at the top of the episode here. So thanks. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Tyler. Take care. Thanks for tuning
1: in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast. If you found some value in the show, please do us a huge favor and hit the like button and subscribe. If you have any questions, guest suggestions, or anything else, feel free to reach out to us anytime at our email, podcast at macodesign.com. This show is hosted by Kevin Maco, North America's leading expert on product development for hardware startups. And the podcast is produced by Maco Design, the original firm providing end-to-end consumer product development services tailored specifically to hardware startups, small manufacturers, and inventors. Take your product from idea to store shelves at macodesign.com. That's makodesign.com. That's M-A-K-O design.com. Thanks for joining and see you again soon.